Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. you to join with me in our prayer for illumination as printed in your bulletin or on the screen. Compassionate God, all creation delights in the radiant presence of your word. May the authority of the spirit bring understanding into our confused minds and truth into our troubled hearts that we may praise and serve Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 5 and 15 through 17. Hear now God's word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning once again, Orange. I'm Pastor Corey, and this morning we are continuing our sermon series, We Believe. So as Pastor Adam has mentioned the last several weeks, we are talking about the Apostles' Creed and how it developed out of a need to solidify the most essential foundational basics of our faith. So we're going back to basics. As we explore the various elements of the Apostles' Creed, we began with God, the Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And today we continue. His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you this morning to join with me as we say the Apostles' Creed together and utter those words as one voice. You're welcome to look at the screen or turn in your hymnal to page 881. Let us join now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. That word conceived, we know that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, and so the Holy Spirit fell upon her in that miraculous conception. But I think the word and its meaning go even deeper and farther than that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is conceived. He is empowered to be. Jesus is empowered to be Emmanuel, God with us, both fully human and fully God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is empowered to be. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this empowerment, this power the Holy Spirit has, it doesn't waver during Jesus' life. It is not solely present at his conception. The Spirit continues to work. We know the Spirit descends upon Jesus in his baptism and empowers him to go forth in ministry. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' constant companion. He proclaims when he announces in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' constant source of strength and discernment and empowerment to go forward as he ushers in the kingdom of heaven on earth. The Spirit of God is the only power by which Jesus' kingdom is ushered into existence among us. And this can be kind of confusing for us when we think about spirit. We kind of get hung up, I think, sometimes on that Holy Ghost part. And this is what we might often imagine or see. Okay. Anyone familiar? For those of you listening to our podcast or who might not be able to see the screen this morning, it's a picture of Casper the friendly ghost. And now to be quite honest, this is like the cutest depiction of the Holy Spirit we might ever come across. And the timing is so good because fall just began and we're so close to Halloween. But the Spirit is not always sweet. And unfortunately, I have no biblical evidence to suggest that the Spirit commonly takes the form of a little white floating creature. So it can be hard for us to wrap our minds around who and what this spirit is, what this spirit does, what this spirit requires, especially in light of what the spirit is and what the spirit does and what the spirit requires of Jesus. Now, if we look to scripture to discern what the spirit does as part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get a lot of images and none of them are Casper. The Spirit of God is the breath that gives life, that conceives life. Not just Jesus's, but upon the very waters of creation and into Adam and Eve. The Spirit of God is the breath that not only gives life, but calls forth resurrection out of the dry bones in Ezekiel, where no life remained. 
The Spirit of God is the fire that comes down from heaven and rests upon every single person. Leaves no one out. In Acts, God proclaims, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your children, your youth, your young adults, your middle-agers, your retirees, your aged. I'll pour my spirit out on all of them. So none of us are getting out of this. Karen Vanderlinden sent me a text this morning and said, you should say this. You get a spirit. You get the spirit. You get the spirit. So that one was for you, Karen. We don't get to decide who gets it and who doesn't. It will come down on all people. But let's be honest. Some people just seem to kind of have the spirit, like these two. You can put the other one up now. There we are. You know they have the spirit. Again, if you can't see it, this is a picture of America's favorite late-night cheerleaders, the Spartans. They've got spirit. But we as Christians, we as followers, we believe that the very spirit of God that empowered Jesus to go forth in mission, that very same spirit rests upon each of us, empowering us to go forth in that very same mission. And we say it. We believe that. But how do we live that? Do we believe in our very living that the power of the Holy Spirit is an active and empowering agent? I think the answer is yes and no. Yesterday morning, I presided at a memorial service in the passage that we read this morning, that, pa- that, that I read, you read it this, at nine o'clock, I read it this morning. The passage we read from John's gospel that is traditionally read at services of death and resurrection, at funerals, especially in the United Methodist Church. It's the suggested gospel reading in our liturgy. And as a young, new, green pastor, I I didn't feel confident enough to question that gospel recommendation, and so I used it. And I still use it. Because the words from this passage, they have such Power, especially when people are in that thin space that grief can create. Where heaven and earth feel closer than they do when we are simply going about our day to day. Those words, they hit differently when the reality of death stands before us. That vulnerable space when we are broken open to something beyond ourselves. I think many of us might say we felt the Holy Spirit in a moment like this or in a moment of baptism when that beauty and vulnerability of an individual standing before us is stripped away of all their earthly titles and named as beloved. The same goes for the birth of a child. I imagine that vulnerability of labor and that new life coming forth. Many of you can remember and probably have those Holy Spirit goosebumps now remembering the first time you laid eyes on that child or that grandchild. Babies have the Spirit. I think also when we face a great pain in our lives, not just the loss of someone we love, but a loss of any type, a loss of health or relationship or plans made for ourselves or our family. Loss makes us more vulnerable, more open to experience the closeness of the Holy Spirit in moments of need and desperation. 
So yes, I think many of us could probably identify a moment in our lives when we experience the Holy Spirit as that great comforter, as that great peace, in a moment of vulnerability or change. But I think a fair amount of us would also say we haven't experienced the Spirit. Not even in the ways I just described, that we couldn't tell you what the Spirit is if our very life depended on it. Well, our lives as disciples actually do depend upon it. Our lives, lives that have been sealed by the love, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our lives do depend upon the Spirit and on our ability to more intimately know and receive that Spirit in our living. The Spirit of God is not just our companion or our comforter. The Spirit of God is a companion and a comforter, but the Spirit of God is not just a companion and comforter. The Spirit of God is like a mighty rushing wind moving us. It's like a fire igniting us toward movement and toward action, toward mission, toward participating in the very same movement and action that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. The Holy Spirit is that power by which we are moved, encouraged, convicted within our very souls. It's the power by which we are able to live a life led by the example of Christ. Now, some of y'all might be beginning to daze off, be distracted. I'm getting a little, it's getting a little warm up here, like the Holy Spirit warm. And I've probably been talking about ghosts for way too long, or, and you're wondering how much longer I'm going to talk because you really want to check to make sure you know what time kickoff is. I think it's at one. Or to see if your target pickup order is ready yet. I know it because I do it. Just don't tell Pastor Adam. Uh, I know for the most part, church isn't the most exciting part of your week every week. I wish it were. And I know it sometimes feels like the world might be right in telling us that our time spent here would be better spent out there. I know brunch is delicious. And I know once upon a time, sleeping in was really a wonderful thing. I say this because I know all the distractions that demand our attention. They demand my attention. And I'm not throwing a pity party here. I'm just saying I know what is at stake, what is calling our names. And I know I am never going to be able to convince you that you should be here or that you should join a small group or that you should help serve at porch or donate to backpack putties or sing in the choir. Derek really wishes I could. And, and if I can't convince you of that, then I will never be able to convince you to leave this space and live like Jesus. Because do you know what is harder than joining a small group? Eating with sinners and spending time with marginalized and taking care of the widow and the orphan and offering care to the poor, visiting the imprisoned, giving our money away, taking what little we have and offering it in the face of a crowd that is much larger than we could imagine feeding. Following Jesus is hard, and if you think that coming here each Sunday morning is sometimes or always boring, 
Let me tell you what is absolutely not boring. Eating with sinners and spending time with the marginalized and taking care of the widow and orphan, offering care to the poor, visiting the imprisoned and taking what little you have and offering it to a crowd that is much larger than you could imagine feeding. Ask anyone who has visited someone in prison or served dinner at a shelter. It is never boring. Living like Jesus is challenging and it is active and it is exciting. And I am never going to convince you to do anything about it. I'm never going to convince you to do anything about your discipleship. And I don't have to. Because that is the Spirit's job. That is the Spirit's job. The Spirit is the one who empowers you and convinces you to live like Jesus in a world that tries to convince you otherwise. The Spirit is what empowers you to give more of yourself than you thought you could. The Spirit is the one that empowers you to recognize a gift within yourself and then to offer it to others in service. The Spirit is the one that we trust to guide our steps and sustain our work as disciples. And we know this because that's all the disciples had after Jesus offers them these words in John's gospel. Because not long after he tells them about the Spirit, the one who advocates for God in us and to God for us, the Spirit is what we have now. Now that Jesus has ascended to lead us, empower us, challenge us to be more and more like Jesus in a world that looks less and less like him. So I'm wondering this morning, what is the spirit longing to convince you of today? Some of you are wondering, well, how do I know it's the spirit? Sometimes the spirit is obvious. Sometimes it's tongues of fire and you cannot mistake it. Sometimes the spirit is a still small voice and we can narrowly miss it. In my experience, the more deeply we practice the work of discipleship and participate in those means of grace, service, communion, worship, study, community, the more we make ourselves available to God, the more God makes God's self available to us. We can see and hear and feel that spirit more clearly. The spirit can come to us in a feeling, in a thought, in our action or in someone else's. Church, there's no limit to the ways the spirit can meet us. So may the same spirit who conceived Jesus, the spirit who empowered him to live a life of love and sacrifice and service and resurrection. May that same spirit be within you, empowering you to live likewise. Let us pray. Spirit, wind, breath, fire, fill our lungs and lives with your empowering presence. Refresh our stale minds, Stir our slowly beating hearts so that we may humbly and courageously be your breathing, gutsy, rushing presence in the world. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.